Welcome back to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about empowering couples with the knowledge they need to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and have the healthiest baby possible. I'm Kristen Cornett, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and owner of an online fertility practice called Tiny Feet. I work with women and couples all over the world to optimize their health and fertility so they can build the families they've always dreamed of. You can learn more about me on my website at tinyfeet.co. Thanks so much for tuning in with me this week. Before we get started, I want to invite you to check out a couple of free resources that can help you move forward on your fertility journey. First is my free Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant quiz, which will ask you about common symptoms in five areas of health that are foundational to fertility, as well as provide you with some practical tips on how to get started improving your health in each area. Next is the free mini course on how to choose the best prenatal supplements, which walks you through the specific nutrients you need to support your fertility and a healthy pregnancy, and how to find high quality supplements to meet your needs. And lastly, if you're interested in working with me one-on-one to get to the root cause of your fertility struggles and heal your body through functional medicine, you can schedule a 20-minute phone consult with me. You can find links to each of these free resources through the link in this week's episode description. You're listening to episode 91, and this week I'm interviewing acupuncturist and fertility expert Heidi Brockmeyer about using acupuncture and Chinese medicine to get your cycle back on track and boost fertility. Acupuncture is an amazing healing therapy that is being recommended more and more for fertility support, and for good reason, because it works incredibly well. Today, Heidi and I are going to be talking about what the Chinese medicine approach to fertility looks like and how it's different from standard fertility care how acupuncture can support each phase of the menstrual cycle, regardless of how you're trying to conceive, specific cycle issues or reproductive health conditions that acupuncture can help treat, when the best time is to begin receiving acupuncture for fertility, and how you can learn more from Heidi through her online resources and programs. So I'll officially introduce you to Heidi and we'll get started. Heidi Brockmeyer is a licensed practitioner of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. She has a decade of experience helping women grow their families. She's supported hundreds of women in her clinic in San Diego and thousands of women around the world. She teaches women how to get pregnant a faster, healthier, easier, and more affordable way with her online program, Fertility Activation Method. She loves teaching women how to renew faith in their ability to conceive and to take back control of their health and bodies. You can find links to Heidi's website, online program, and free resources through the link in this week's episode description. Enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome, Heidi Brockmeyer. Thank you so much for being with me today on Mastering Your Fertility. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you start by sharing a little bit about your background and what originally brought you to acupuncture and Chinese medicine and women's health and fertility? Sure. Yeah. So um, when I was in acupuncture school, um, I got pregnant with my son for one thing. And um, so, you know, I used Chinese medicine to support my pregnancy and my natural birth and postpartum and breastfeeding and to support him. So it was just definitely woven into my own personal experience. And of course, becoming a parent myself was inspired me in a whole other, a whole new way. And, um, but also, but, you know, before even getting pregnant, 
one thing that I really loved about Chinese medicine and was so amazed by it was uh, how effective it is for women's health issues. And I know I had found, felt so frustrated throughout the years going to a gynecologist and um, any complaint or any issue that I had, it was always like, well, birth control is the solution. And um, I just remember my, my first experience with acupuncture and Chinese medicine myself, just having really bad cramps and the cramps just not only get getting relief from the cramps in about five minutes, but then also feeling kind of high. I went from feeling really cranky and upset and like uncomfortable and to like, wow, life is good. I'm like, wow, this stuff is amazing. Um, so I was always drawn to using Chinese medicine for women's health issues, just because it was like, this is, we obviously desperately need this medicine. And then by the time I graduated, um, I was, you know, a single mom eager to just like hit the ground running and put my needles to work and, and um, be in a busy practice. And I actually was invited to join a practice that specialized in fertility. I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is perfect. Another thing that I also loved acupuncture for Chinese medicine is for supporting people emotionally. It's so effective for that. So fertility kind of combined all, all the, my passions, you know, parenthood, as well as women's health issues, as well as um, supporting people emotionally, because as you know, the fertility journey is, is so emotional. Um, yeah. And I, I like to say that fertility found me rather, you know, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily seek that out from the beginning, um, especially because I found it a bit intimidating. Uh, but then that it just called me the minute, the minute that I graduated and got, received my license in the mail, I was like, Oh, this is the path that you're going on. And I was mentored by a couple of amazing experienced practitioners. So I got to hit the ground running and I really fell in love with, with the, the specialty and with the, the women, cause they're just so dedicated, such dedicated patients and so smart and funny and just great women. And it was so rewarding to help them along the path. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Working in fertility, you meet a lot of really, really amazing clients and patients along the yeah. way. So talk about why Chinese medicine is so amazing for women's health issues. Like what makes it so effective at treating these kinds of problems, either with the menstrual cycle, uh, as well as with fertility? Yeah, well, they go hand in hand because, um, you know, what I teach is that the first step to being more fertile and priming your body for pregnancy is to have a healthy cycle first. If your cycle's not healthy, then that's a sign that that's where you look first to say, where is my fertility off? As well as, you know, your whole body health, your digestion is important, your immune system, everything, all the systems are connected and contribute to each other and dependent on each other. But a lot of women maybe have an unhealthy cycle and i don't just mean that the, their period i mean their cycle from day one of their period through ovulation all through through implantation through um, their next period or obviously pregnancy the, the whole cycle so if women are ovulating too early or too late or having a short luteal phase or really painful periods or a lot of spotting in between their periods um, uh, heavy lots of clots in their flow, for example, um, and and they want to get pregnant and they're waiting to get pregnant and thinking that they should go, they're going to go from having an unhealthy cycle to getting pregnant, it's like skipping a lot of steps. Yeah. And the, you know, 
the advantage of being a woman and having a cycle is it's like this whole extra way that the body can communicate to us and tell us, you know, this is, this is where we need some help. This is, this is how you can give the body support. And then as you give the body support, the body can communicate back immediately and tell you, okay, we're on the right track here. Like, oh, look, I, ha I didn't have as many cramps this cycle. I'm not seeing as many clots. I didn't have spotting. I ovulated on time. So you're like, oh, okay, now I'm on, the, I'm on the right track to pregnancy. Um, and so Chinese medicine is it just, uh, it's such a sophisticated, sophisticated system. It really knows how to read these signs of the body and so that you can support it naturally. Um, with the tools that Chinese medicine offers to bring it back into balance uh, without drugs, or if you are using, you know, drugs or surgery, a Western medical approach, then you can integrate the two, which I, to help offset the side effects of the drugs, um, to make the treatment more successful. Uh, so there's really no reason why women should not be using a holistic method. And I think in Chinese medicine is just such a refined, um, t um, it's time proven method, uh, not just time, but been proven to work, you know, on billions of people <laughs> throughout history. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's legit. <laughs> it gets the job done. <laughs> Definitely agree. I'm, I'm always impressed by what I've learned so far. I mean, I'm by no means an expert because that's not how I'm trained, but I'm always amazed by how in-depth the diagnostic process is in Chinese medicine and how many different things are looked at to determine whether or not your menstrual cycle is healthy. And it's so different from what's looked at in the conventional medical system. I mean, it's like, are you ovulating? Are you not ovulating? And if you're not ovulating and you don't have a cycle, here's a bunch of drugs to fix that. But as far as like most doctors knowing how to interpret a chart, for instance, to try to help pinpoint like what's going on with a woman's cycle or what hormones might be a little bit off, that that training just really isn't there in conventional medicine. So I think having something holistic like this to help women get more in touch with their bodies, to better understand what's happening with their hormones, to know what it means to have a healthy ovulation, to have a healthy menses is so important. And this definitely offers that opportunity for women to get more in tune. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and I do think that it's important to recognize too, that you don't have to just choose holistic or conventional, what you were saying about doing these things together and helping women, you know, deal with the side effects of the drugs that they're on or do as much as they can to optimize themselves prior to going into treatment or throughout treatment, uh, because it does increase the odds of success and practitioners have seen that clinically, but there's also some research about that, um, you know, and I think it's starting to trickle in a little bit more. Uh, about how holistic modalities can help support that conventional medical process that we put women through because it is, it's intense and it's invasive and there's a lot going on there. And so having something that can support them uh, in another way, I think is, is helpful and important to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll help save them money and more trouble because, you know, obviously you want to be successful the first time if you're doing fertility treatment and you don't want to wait till after it hasn't worked one or two or three times and then say, okay, now I have to do something different. Cause I think a lot of women don't understand that it, you know, the fertility treatment isn't necessarily going to overcome uh, some underlying issues that are there, you know, for like, you can't get water from a stone and your fertility doctors are not going to say, oh, you should really, you know, use Chinese medicine to help you to prepare for this cycle. They don't 
really, I mean, maybe some do, but most don't, but they don't, they don't really see it as you have, it's like once your eggs are considered old and unhealthy or, or once it's considered that, you know, your egg reserve is low, um, conventional doctors see that as a very linear fact. And it's like, you can't turn the clock back on that. But Chinese medicine sees it differently. And maybe it's hormonal imbalance, or maybe it's your womb isn't as healthy as it could be for implantation and for the pregnancy to stick. Um, but whatever the issue is, there are things that you can do so that you're, you're going to have better results with the fertility treatment. Um, so best to go into it as, as prepared as you can. Yeah, as healthy as you can. Yeah. Yeah, your fertility is so dependent on all of these underlying systems working properly. And it's not just your reproductive system. It's all the other body systems that your reproductive system relies on to be healthy and function properly. Exactly. And I think it's, you know, it's a good point, like what you were saying about low egg reserve and doctors seeing things only really going in one direction. You know, if labs don't look good, they're like, oh my gosh, it's only going to get worse from here. There's really no acknowledgement of the fact that things can change and improve. And maybe that's not what they see clinically because the majority of their patients that they're working with aren't seeking out holistic methods. They're not doing that root cause investigation. But, you know, I think one of the most frustrating diagnoses that women can receive is like a diminished ovarian reserve or a POI type of diagnosis if things look really severe or even just getting back a low AMH. And then it's like, okay, your AMH is low, your egg reserve is tiny and it's only going to get worse. And so you either need to do IVF right now uh, or nothing essentially. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's enough, um, I don't think there's enough investigation into why that AMH might be low in the first place. And that's something I think is, is really amazing about holistic modalities, Chinese medicine included, is that there are a bunch of things that can affect that number. And there are a lot of things that you can do to kind of turn things around. And it's also not the best indicator of your chances to conceive naturally. So can you talk a little bit about the DOR diagnosis and having a low AMH and kind of what the holistic approach might be to seeing if that number could maybe increase or supporting a natural pregnancy in spite of a low AMH? Yeah, absolutely. I love this topic because it's very exciting because I have a lot of clients who I've had, I had two clients recently, one was 43 and was diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve, endometriosis, um, adenomyosis and low AMH. And she had had two failed IVFs. She had her third IVF postponed due to COVID. And then she used my methods and then she got pregnant after just a few weeks and naturally, and she's into her second trimester and the pregnancy is healthy. Then I had another woman write in, I didn't know that she had gotten pregnant at 46, had the baby at 47. And wow. was also diagnosed with low amation and diminished ovarian reserve, had also had failed IVF treatments, got pregnant naturally with my program. And um, you know, I have women too that are measuring their AMH levels after having, you know, before starting my program and then after starting my program and seeing I had one woman go from 0.1 to 3.0 in just nine days of using my program. I know, I was oh. like, whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> and um and of course, not everybody gets this dramatic of results, but it's just, I do have enough testimonials like that, that just show that when, when women give their bodies what they need, their bodies can do amazing things for them. Our bodies are really resilient. They want to be fertile. That's its natural state. And, and it just goes to show that a lot of assumptions that are made on the doctors and because of the limitations of the Western medical approach. 
Um, the Western medical approach is more like, oh shoot, medicine. It's like, okay, it's gotten really bad. And here is the, here are the fixes that we have. They're not, their approach, the, the solutions that they offer are not to address the root cause. They're basically to deal with the, oh my gosh, we've, we've gotten to this, this stage and this is all we have. This is what we have to offer you. So it's not necessarily, I'm not saying this to, you know, talk badly about doctors, but more just that, that just to have a clear understanding of the limitations, the, the, the strengths and weaknesses of the different medicines. Obviously, you know, IVF is a really great resource for a lot of women and it's a game changer. So it's a great resource to have, but that's why it's so important to pair the two. Um, now, with as far as AMH is concerned, this is, this is how I see things. Um, AMH is really uh, more of an indication of how active your ovaries are. And so when you're going to ovulate each month, your ovaries recruit a number of eggs, but they're you know called follicles, and I know you knew this, but just <laughs> for your listeners who may not know, um, recruit a number of eggs, and, and at this stage they're they're follicles to be contenders to be ovulated that month, and then your your ovaries are going to say, okay, which one's the best egg to ovulate? Which one's the strongest one? And then we'll ovulate the best one of those picked. Nobody can really say how many eggs you actually have left in reserve. They don't have a diagnostic tool to be able to count how many eggs you have left. So you could still have hundreds of thousands of eggs left or thousands of eggs left in your reserve. But the AMA, when they combine the, your AMH level along with seeing how many eggs your ovaries are recruiting at the beginning of a cycle, that's where they're making a guess. I'm like, oh, it looks like you have you could have diminished ovarian reserve, that your egg reserve is running low. So maybe your AMH is um, less than 1.0, and maybe you're only you only have about two or three or four eggs or one egg at the beginning of a cycle that could potentially be ovulated. So they're going to tell you you know you have low ovarian reserve. I see women who are diagnosed with low AMH in their early 30s, and they're not the case of premature ovarian failure going into menopause early. It's a lot of times it's because women have been on the pill for many years and that's basically suppressed their ovaries, like put them to sleep, if you will, or made them sluggish or slow. It's just, it shut them down and it shut down their, the communication between the ovaries and the brain. Um, to be active, like, hey, we're ovulating here, we're fertile. It's just like, nope, we're shutting this down. And so, and then, uh, you know, the, the synthetic hormones that have built up in the system are still in their system. It's still, they're stored in fat cells, they're just stored in our tissue. And, um, and so it's still interfering with our, our cycles, our endocrine regularity for a lot of women. Some women can come off the pill after being on it for 20 years and get, step right back into a cycle. But a lot of women can't, and, and maybe they have low MH because basically their, their um, ovaries are just not signaling to the brain that it's like game time. Um, also, I see a lot of women in, in, in this category that have um, polycystic ovarian syndrome after having been on the pill, and they're not your typical pre-diabetic necessarily, like picture PCOS, but more uh, just that their ovaries, their their um, eggs are not fully maturing and just developing to cysts because of the residual effects of the birth control pill. And then once you're able to detox the body, get things, wake up the ovaries, get some good circulation to the reproductive organs, support 
the body nutritionally, give, give the body what it needs, then the ovaries can wake back up and those, you see those AMH levels improve. And this, and this goes for any age, really. Um, so even at 40 and even at 45, you know, once you're giving the body what it needs and waking the ovaries up, then they can start recruiting more eggs. Um, so as a comment, so then that each month, each cycle, the body has more eggs to pick from and say, okay, this is the best one. But also it's, it's not just about the number of eggs, but it's the environment they're exposed to. So if the ovaries are, are doing better, it's probably an indicator your cycle's healthier. It's an indication of your whole body is a healthier environment. So those, the, the maturation process before those eggs are recruited for ovulation the eggs have been exposed to healthier environments, so they're also healthier. So you've got more eggs to choose from, healthier eggs, and more to work with. Um, but yeah, you know, the body is definitely gonna. It's not just a one-way street. If you're, if it, I think that age, um, the biggest impact of age is that there's more time for chronic health issues to have really dug themselves, taken root. You know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think it's interesting the way that we view fertility and ovarian function. I think we accept in other branches of medicine that it is entirely possible for the function of an organ or an organ system to improve based on the environment and the body, what it's being exposed to, what things might be stressing that organ system. But for some reason, when it comes to fertility, we're like, nope, it just drops off a cliff and there's, and there's nothing that can make that situation better. So I think it is important for us to kind of reframe and examine our mindset around that. I think part of that comes too from the, the whole age thing, you know, just assuming that we've always been told like, okay, well, once you're over 30, then it becomes more critical. And once you're over 35, then your chances are so low and you just have to do whatever the doctor says. And so I think there's, there's kind of a mindset revision that needs to be made there so that we understand that your ovaries and your reproductive system, just like every other body system can improve its function based on the environment in your body, what you're being exposed to, you know, circulation and blood flow and nutrition and hormonal balance, all of those things have such a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. I would say arm yourself with a podcast like yours, listen to it before you go to the doctor's office, after you go to the doctor's office, and just know when you go there, keep it in mind that this is what they're going to tell you. And so that you can have a barrier up and take it with a grain of salt because you know, it, it is so devastating for women to hear that perspective. And, and you know, we, we hear it all the time through media and just, to, you know, our biological clocks ticking. We've been bombarded with that messaging, but then it really, you know, it's like the straw that can't, it breaks the camel's back when you go to the doctor and they're like, there's no hope for you. Um, your only option is egg donor. And egg donor is a beautiful option if, if that's the right choice to, if, if that's the right path for somebody. But, um, you know, a lot of times to hear that for the first time is, um, really devastating women aren't necessarily ready to like, wait, what? I, we're talking about somebody else's eggs. I was not ready for that, you know, and, and, and you're too old. It's your age. They, they make that assumption, jump to that conclusion, and it can really hit women hard. So to change that mindset, it's great to have resources like your podcast, for example. So yeah, I think it brings up an important point about self-advocacy too. And I, I think um, even if you are familiar with you know, some of these underlying or holistic investigations that can be done into fertility. A lot of people get like white coat syndrome. <laughs> they go and they, they sit in the doctor's office and they're just like, oh my gosh, like I had all this in my brain or these things I was going to ask for, or these things I wanted to investigate, or I wanted a second opinion, but they get there and then they kind of get like sort of 
intimidated, I guess, by, by the advice that they're being given. What, what advice do you have for women on the self-advocacy piece, on having those more difficult conversations with doctors when they want a second opinion or they want more testing or they want something that's outside of the norm? Like, How do you help people have those conversations or get in the right mindset for those conversations? Yeah, it's a really good point, and I'm glad you brought it up, and I, I encourage women as well to advocate for themselves. That's a huge piece of it, because I think that's another thing that we've culturally been trained for in this um, in this day and age is just to see doctors as like the kind of gods in a sense, and that we're like, we're here, we hand over our health to them, and we hand over our own knowledge about ourselves and our bodies over to them like well no i feel that this is off i feel like i could be fertile but my cycle's just off right and then we go to a doctor and it's kind of like no you don't know anything about your body i know i'm the expert over your body and um and, and not that that and not that doctors are always that arrogant but it's just it's sort of the cultural mindset we have around medicine and um, and then we're also kind of handing over that self-accountability and self-responsibility for our own health. And um, so I think what's mindset is really the most important piece to, to go to when you go and you get an opinion from a doctor, it's an opinion and, and there is expertise behind it. It's not, you're getting more information and information is really useful. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. Take it with a grain of salt. Remember that you're the expert of your own body. You also are, you also have autonomy. You get to choose, you know, it's not up to them. You get to sit with that decision and, and see if it feels right. And um, I always encourage women to get a second opinion or third opinion and, and see, you know, just to also feel your connection with different doctors and, and see what notes compare and which ones don't. And, um, but then ultimately also remember that it's your responsibility to fill in the gaps of, uh, that they're not going to cover. Like I said, it's knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the different practitioners you're going to or the different, um, systems you're using. So, you know, when you go to a Western conventional fertility doctor, they're not going, their strength is not going to be, you know, let's get to the root of the problem and holistically naturally build your body up. That's just, you, you, you can't get that from them. And so it's up to you to fill in those gaps and, and integrate, you know, do some research, find a, a local holistic um, healthcare practitioner, a naturopath or an acupuncturist um, or, um, or, you know, like programs online, research, you know, somebody reputable, whatever sits right with you, whatever feels right with you. But just to remember that, that it, it is our individual responsibility to advocate for ourselves and fill in those gaps. It is. And I, you know, that intuition, what you're saying about choosing what feels right for you is so important. And I think our modern society kind of discourages people in general from doing that. We're supposed to make decisions based on data and hard facts. You know, we mm. discount our own intuition or our own sense of what's happening in our bodies. And I think that happens a lot when you're sitting in the midst of the expertise of, you know, a medical practitioner. Certainly that happens. But I also just think in general, it's, it seems to be harder for a lot of us to kind of trust our intuition and what we feel intuitively is right for us. So that's, that's another thing I think we can all use a little bit of building up in those areas, not only so that we're ready for those conversations, but so that it becomes easier to make decisions about this mm -hmm. because it's an incredibly emotional topic. You know, it's such a difficult area to be making decisions. Most, most people who are in the situation, they never thought they would be. 
you know, there are some people mm -hmm. that maybe had health issues in early childhood or, you know, cancer treatment, something like that, where they knew that fertility might eventually be an issue for them. But most of the people that are coming into this arena of treatment and needing help in this area never expected to be here. Uh, and so just all of the unexpected things and diagnoses and testing and things that come along with that can really throw people off balance and make it hard for them to make decisions that are right for their specific situation. But I would say, you know, I don't think most decisions, even in fertility, even when couples are a little bit older, they don't typically need to be made right on the spot in the office. It's okay to take some time and take that information along with some other information that you've learned from other sources and bring all that together, see what feels right, and then make a decision. Like most people have a month or two to make a decision time-wise. Absolutely. And that's a really good point too, because a lot of times you, it's good to know, be prepared before going into the doctor's office that you will feel rushed. <laughs> It'll feel like, you know, if you're, especially if you're over 35, over 40, it'll be like, you better make this decision yesterday and you should start IVF right now. Um, but, you know, I, I teach women that, of course, you know, age, we're concerned about age and you're not going to be sitting on this decision for years. But if it's the difference between three months and you're, um, you're giving your body everything that it needs in that time, you're building up your health, you're not wasting that time. You're not just living you know, it just time go by, you're making some changes to support your fertility, then you can turn back the clock depending on how you use that time. So to also kind of keep that a little bit at a distance, the, the pressure that you're going to feel oftentimes when you go to the doctor um, so that you, you do have a, some space and you're not in a, a place of panic when you're making these big decisions. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when we're talking about financially too, I mean, it's, it's a massive investment and I did an interview a couple of weeks ago, uh, just talking about like the success rates, realistically what the success rates of IVF are. And when you're looking at spending that much money for, you know, a 30% ish chance at walking away with the baby, you do want to make sure that you consider what some of the other options might be. And if you still decide to go that route, then great, but take a little bit of time to maybe do some of these things that can help build your body up. And like you said, you spend three months, but you turned the clock back, you know, six months, a year or more just by mm -hmm. doing some of this underlying work and making yourself healthier before you go down that, that much more expensive, much more invasive route of treatment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that was an awesome discussion. Thank you so much for the, <laughs> the, the in-depth dive into AMH. Cause that is a question that I feel like I get all the time from clients in my Facebook group. That is definitely something that comes up a lot and things that's, it's the thing that I think causes the most anxiety. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a big one. I mean, your eggs are running out. Your egg supply is running out. That, that's a terrifying one. It's like, what do I do about that? But yeah. Well, and I'm seeing more and more women at younger and younger ages too, um, with that, with those types of results. And, you know, I love, uh, I love the advent of things like modern fertility that are encouraging women to get on it, you know, with the testing, you know, figure it out, see where you're at, start thinking earlier about your fertility. Like you don't necessarily have to be ready to have a baby, but at the same time, having access to that kind of testing without some of the interpretive knowledge that could be really helpful, I think maybe sometimes causes some panic for some people when yeah. they get that info, but they're not working with somebody that can help, uh, I guess, lessen the sting of a result like that and help explain what that number really means. And mm. the fact that there are so many contributing factors that can affect it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So talk about some of the other uh, fertility challenges that you've seen great success with, with Chinese medicine, with your online program. Like what are some of the other issues and diagnoses that you've seen improve with this more holistic approach? Um, endometriosis is a big one. Um, the, I, and I think one of the biggest reasons why I have success with endometriosis where there's been failed IVF cycles and years and years of struggling to conceive is because the Western medical, um, the Western fertility treatment is actually makes things worse in the case of endometriosis or any kind of inflammatory condition. Um, a lot of endometriosis, fibroids, polycystic ovaries, um, they're all estrogen dominant conditions and, uh, you know, we are exposed to a lot more estrogen from birth control, um, estrogens in our food or in water, um, in, in pollutants, you know, it's just, it's, we're exposed to excessive amounts of synthetic estrogen these days. So it's such a common condition for women and it's, and then you go to fertility treatment and you're taking more drugs and you're just making it worse. And then the doctors will say, oh, it's because you, you have bad egg quality. And again, that's sort of just this assumed thing that it's a result of a woman's age rather than, well, what about the exposure to all of the fertility drugs? Could that possibly be affecting? <laughs> and I mean, I have yet to hear a fertility doctor talk about that, you know, or ask that question or pose that possibility. Um, so then, you know, women, women come to me and they use my program and you would think that there's no chance for, I mean, diminished ovarian reserve, endometriosis, like stage four endometriosis, all of these issues, all these failed fertility treatments. And now they're 10 years older, five years older. And, um, and then they get pregnant naturally. And it's just, <laughs> uh, so that's, I mean, that's a great one because endometriosis is obviously besides not being able to get pregnant, um, potentially as a result, it's also can be so debilitating, so painful and so frustrating and, and, um, just really not good for the body either because it's, it's a sign of chronic inflammation and inflammation is like the enemy of fertility. Um, it's, it may or may not be, um, is it, an autoimmune condition they suspect that it's autoimmune related right. um and then there's a lot of you know oftentimes hypothyroid goes with it hypothyroidism um uh, mthfr mutations so there's just like this picture of you know chronic inflammation the body attacking itself uh, and then if you went then you give the, the the body that support it needs by detoxing. I teach women how to detox. Um, I recommend supplements, but then also the, the method in my program helps the body to detox itself and heal the digestive system. So oftentimes the digestive system is uh, permeable, like the GI tract, the lining of the GI tract is permeable. So undigested food particles are getting through the walls of the the GI tract lining and then the body is attacking those food particles thinking that they're foreign objects and so then it starts attacking itself and you have inflammation and then and then the body is getting a sensitivity to these different foods and the inflammation is getting worse and um, that puts a lot of stress on the body and it's just, everything's like ah! but when 
<laughs> when you, and then stress plays a role too, but then when you just start supporting the body so that it can heal itself, which is just the beauty of Chinese medicine, it doesn't always have to be really complicated. Um, and the only treatment also for you know chronic inflammation for from a from a conventional standpoint is um, steroids, immune suppressant drugs. Yep. Yeah, and that's just like oh my gosh, it's just putting a whole other strain on the body that's yeah. not a good idea. So um, that's a condition I've had a lot of success helping women with. Yeah. Endo, endo is so interesting because I think um, the, the way that it's treated in conventional medicine really doesn't get to the heart of the issue, right? We're just trying to shut off the estrogen so that it shuts off the feeding of the lesions, but we're not addressing that chronic underlying inflammatory process, which has everything to do with the, the things that you're talking about with gut health, with you know food sensitivity, with what we're being exposed to in the environment. I mean, some of the uh, investigation into the connection between endometriosis and digestive issues, like seeing intestinal permeability in these women, seeing SIBO in these women, seeing, you know, like 90% of them having concurrent GI symptoms along with endometriosis. And what I've experienced with clients is like, you start addressing that gut health piece and they start to realize how much of their pain and discomfort and bloating and all of that was actually coming from the digestive issues not necessarily even the endo. And you see such an incredible improvement in their pain levels and in how debilitated they're feeling. And then of course their fertility, of course, after that as well. So um, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so amazing to see that kind of improvement when you take that holistic approach and you look at those underlying factors and you support women through healing through those things. Yeah. It really should be the first step you take before going to the conventional Western approach. Yeah. Because you might not have to go there. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I mean, if you can save yourself from all of that, then then definitely do it. And if you can't, then you've prepared yourself better to be successful, so that you don't have to do more than one cycle. Exactly. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> so, what about ovulation? I uh, I'm, I want to ask this question because I'm curious just to hear your take on it from the Chinese medicine perspective, or what you would typically do, you know, with a patient with acupuncture when you were seeing uh, patients in person for acupuncture, or just with herbs late ovulation. I see this so frequently. And I think in my practice, it has a lot to do with women being very chronically stressed. You know, the, the reproductive system is just not in a position where it's able to produce the level of hormones that are needed to get that ovulation kicked off at the right time of the cycle. But what's the Chinese medical perspective on a later ovulation, you know, like day 17 to 20 or so, and you know, what can be done about that? Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, there, there's a few different patterns that could lead to that or a combination of a few different patterns. So, you know, you, you could have three women walking through the door with late ovulation and, and the underlying cause could be different for each of them. So the Chinese medicine um, doesn't treat the disease or the symptom, it treats the person. Mm -hmm. And, and um, although I often see women have very similar, like women who are struggling to conceive, there's usually an element of all of the patterns. There's a lot of similarities. So um, one thing that can lead to late ovulation is what we would call liver cheese stagnation, or I call it like stuck liver energy in my program. And you're, from a Chinese medicine perspective, the liver is like the general of the body. And when we speak about the liver, it's not, we are, we're not like literally meaning the organ. 
the liver, but the liver, the energetic system. So it, it does include the liver, the actual organ, of the liver, but there's just a, a, an energetic system that we refer to as like the liver energy. And so the liver is responsible for the smooth flow of energy throughout your whole body, but as well as regulating the menstrual cycle. And so when there's stuck liver energy, which we all have some degree of stuck liver energy or go through some of it, we have like a saying in Chinese medicine that all roads lead back to the liver. So when you're irritable or when you have a headache, when you have road, like you're like especially annoyed at bad driving, that's your liver. <laughs> um, uh, when you're kind of, when you're tense, when your muscles are tense, a lot of PMS symptoms are related to the liver, like, um, cramping, breast tenderness. Uh, a lot of times the stuck liver energy then attacks the digestive system. So when we, you have bloating, like if you're, and you notice that your digestive symptoms are aggravated when you're under stress, that's the liver and the digestion. The liver's kind of like bullying the digestion because it's all cranky. Uh, so that stuck liver energy can contribute to late ovulation or pretty much any fertility issue. It's also one of the easiest things to address. That's the good news because it's just, you just have to get that energy moving and you can, and you can do that. Um, and so it, it, when it's stuck, then it kind of, it, the, the hormones aren't going smoothly. Circulation isn't happening smoothly. And so that it's stalling out the, the maturation of the egg um, and ovulation, the ovulatory process. And of course, liver chi stagnation or that stuck liver energy can be paired along with other patterns that could also contribute to this. So another one would be um, a blood deficiency is what we call it in Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and this is often paired with an underlying digestive deficiency so because blood comes from, you make new blood cells from the food that you eat. And so if your digestive system is weak or if your, you know, your nutrition isn't great or a combination of the two, then your body is going to have trouble making fresh blood cells. But it can also be from stress that your body isn't making um, fresh blood cells from a Chinese medicine perspective as well. So some signs of blood deficiency besides um, late ovulation would be if you have really late, uh, light periods short periods, if your skin is dry, if your hair is thinning or your hair is dry or falling, you know, kind of falling out, if your eyes are dry. So there are some other things that would kind of indicate, oh, this is more of a blood deficiency. Then there's also um, like a warming energy. So we would call it kidney yang energy in um, Chinese medicine, but basically it's like the warming energy or maybe some people, if they're familiar with Chinese medicine, have heard of like a cold uterus. Mm -hmm. That's one of the diagnoses in Chinese medicine. So you need warmth to mature an egg. I mean, if you think about chickens sitting on an egg so that it can hatch, you know, or penguins, <laughs> uh, you, the, you need that reproductive warmth to catalyze this process, to mature the egg and have it ovulate. So if that warming energy is weak, um, that can also, so if you're, you're cold easily or if you have cold hands and feet, um, this, that might be an indication that that's an issue for you. So like I said, a lot of times it's a combination of the three. Um, in some blood deficiency, maybe some stick, stuck liver energy, and maybe some um, warming um, deficiency or, and, but maybe one is more prominent than the other. It, or so some women might notice, Oh, I was really stressed out this month and I ovulated a little bit later. So that's like, okay, liver chi stagnation. Or if you're keeping a BBT chart and you see that your temperatures are kind of erratic, spiky all over the place, that's the liver. It's like cranky. There's not that smooth flow. It's like, eat -er, eat -er, eat -er. um, 
so this is one of the things that I teach women is how to read their body and understand like, oh, okay, my feet, are, I'm feeling really cold. My hands and feet are really cold. I need to like keep socks on, maybe do a hot, um, soak my feet in some hot water, uh, do some moxa. It's another Chinese medicine therapy, really focus on warming, having warming foods. Or maybe it's like, oh, wow, my, my ovulation is late. I'm noticing, I've been really stressed out lately, so I got to move that energy. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's. That's the 411 on a Chinese medicine perspective of late ovulation. Yeah, there's so much information there. So many things yeah. to be looked at, uh, which is why it's so great to be, you know, working with someone in some capacity to personalize this a little bit, because I think it's so hard, you know, when you're going through fertility and you're just trying to read whatever you can, you're trying to consume as much information as possible. And it's difficult to know exactly, like if you're going on Google, like what do you even type in a Google search bar for some of the things that might be going on with your menstrual cycle? And so, you know, having podcasts like this and, and good, reliable information and great online programs and things that women can look into to kind of help personalize some of this stuff to themselves and figure out like, what is going on in my body? How do I learn more about what these different signs and symptoms mean? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really beneficial to learn outside of getting pregnant. Obviously that's the immediate, immediate goal. Uh, but it's also lifelong knowledge that will, it'll benefit you to like preserve the quality of your life. And to, cause it's kind of like this, we, we have a whole blind spot as to what's going on with our bodies. The Chinese medicine is so tuned into that. Once you start to learn it, it's like, wow, you can have so much more control over your health and so much more influence over it. And not just your physical health, but your emotional health, your mental health, because obviously it's all, it's all connected. And Chinese medicine is, is such a sophisticated understanding of how it's all connected. So, I mean, I personally am like, gosh, I don't know, you know, what life was like before me, before me, before I had all of this knowledge and have been able to apply. Now it's just secondhand. I don't really think about it. It's like, Ooh, you know, I gotta, I gotta watch this. I don't want my kidney energy to get too low because that can affect all these other things so I can nip things at the bud you know and which is also really important now in this you know with COVID and everything it's like you really need to know how to you really want to know um, how you can preserve your health how you can keep yourself strong um, of course there's always going to be some things that are out of our control and it's never a matter of anybody feeling guilty like it's their fault if they get sick but knowing what they can do to keep themselves healthy yeah Definitely during this, this day and age, for sure, from more than just a fertility perspective. Mm -hmm. So talk for a second about the emotional component, because there's all these things that we need to tune into physically and all these, you know, different energies that can affect our cycle. And, and we can make interpretations about what might be happening from a physical perspective. But what about emotional? How does Chinese medicine and acupuncture help address some of the emotional issues that can contribute to poor health and interfere with fertility? Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, from a Chinese medicine perspective, different emotions have a different impact on the body or impact different organ systems. So grief, for example, would have the biggest impact on our lungs mm -hmm. um, and, and our immune system. In Chinese medicine, the lungs are responsible for, the, for our immunity. Um, so for repressing grief, then that is... Um, that can affect our immune system. So I, I mean, I've had patients that are like, have had this ongoing cough. They're like, oh, I've just had this chronic cough for a while. Well, when did it start? Hmm, maybe about a year ago. Did anything happen around a year ago? Yeah, my dad died. And it's, you know, I've just seen it like clinically again and again. It's like, 
yep, okay, and that's right. It's, they knew what they were talking about. Um, and it's not that it's not repressed grief can affect you know any area of the body. It's not strictly grief or strictly the immune system, but generally speaking. Um, then if we're worrying a lot, that can affect our digestive system. Uh, worrying or overthinking, uh, our digestive system is kind of supports our mental uh, abilities. Um, so if we are overthinking, overstudying, overworrying, then it can weaken our digestive system. Likewise, if our digestive system is really weak, then our memory might not be as good or we might have trouble concentrating, focusing. Um, and so repressed ang anger affects our, our, our liver. Really, any repressed emotion can affect our liver energy. And so liver energy is responsible for that, like that smooth flow of energy and hormonal balance. Um, so, and then if we're really anxious, that can affect our heart, our circulatory system. And then fear would affect our kidney energy, which is the reproductive energy. So, but what I like to emphasize to women, because it can, then that can be even more panicky. It's just like, now I'm stressed about being stressed. You know, I should just never feel anything. But it's really important to keep in mind that stress, it's not about not having feelings. It's not, about, it is normal and healthy to have grief and anger. It's appropriate, you know, and, and worry and be afraid of things. These are, we have, we have these feelings for a reason. They're our sixth sense. Um, but it's about allow, it, allowing these feelings to be, for one thing. Um, so I think it's the resistance of having these feelings that causes more stress than the feelings themselves. And it's knowing how to move through the feelings. So that's where Chinese medicine is really helpful too. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of coping mechanisms out there, going to therapy or, you know, there's like a lot of different things to help to support yourself mentally and emotionally. But you can all, the body is also a tool to help move through feelings. Um, so it doesn't always have to be from like a mental approach. You know, you can use, you can use the body to move through that energy as well. Yeah, that's uh, definitely been something I've heard over and over again from clients who go to acupuncture is that they feel like it really helps them kind of energetically to work through some of those, some of those things and kind of clear out whatever that stuck emotional energy is that might be affecting them. And it's amazing how much better people feel when that stuff gets moved out and worked through. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the journey because, you know, that's our chance, whatever our challenges are in life are there to teach us and grow from. And, and that's, and that's the beauty of our emotions as well. They're, they're our wisdom. And so when we can process them, we can, we can gain something from that. Yeah, absolutely. So share a little bit more about your online program. It's called Fertility Activation Method and tell listeners what they can expect from this program. Yeah, so the program, I basically designed it when my patients were like, okay, well, what can I do at home between treatments? I'm like, gosh, there's so much you can do at home, but I basically need to like train you in Chinese medicine. You know, it's not just, well, just eat this or just take that. There's, there are, you know, Chinese medicine is so much more than just acupuncture alone. Most people think Chinese medicine, acupuncture needles. And, um, but that's one of the tools that would be like saying that Western medicine is just taking, I don't know, just surgery or something. Um, so acupuncture is one of the tools of Chinese medicine. 
in what you do at home on a daily basis in between your treatments, no matter what kind of healthcare practitioner you're seeing is really most important. It kind of goes back to what we were saying about self-responsibility and self-advocacy. You know, we, we like to like hand over our health to somebody else, but really our health is our responsibility in what we're doing in our daily lives. So my program teaches women how to give themselves acupressure. So there are protocols that I developed in my clinic that help to uh, balance the cycle from menstruation through ovulation, through implantation till pregnancy or the next period. Um, and so there are protocols that a woman does on herself at home. Um, she follows along with videos and gives herself acupressure uh, using points to support each phase of the cycle. So there's different goals during each phase of the cycle. So we were talking about late ovulation, for example. So leading up to the ovulation, the follicular phase of the cycle, um, the pressure points are designed to help move that stuck liver energy, build up the reproductive warming energy, and, um, ha and ha have a healthy digestion and produce fresh, healthy blood cells so that you're ovulating on time. So it's each protocol is kind of like covering all the bases of what are the most common patterns for women to have imbalances throughout her cycle. And then there's a lot of complementary tools like Qigong, which is basically like Chinese style yoga to also keep moving that energy, meditation, self-abdominal massage, castoral packs, moxa. So it's a program and there's a calendar that teaches you exactly which tools you can use at each phase in the cycle to have a healthy cycle and also support your whole health because, you know, like we mentioned earlier, the health of all your systems is critical for healthy fertility and, um, and to also move through um, emotions, all the emotions that come up and help support the stress and stuff so you can stay, you know, in a good mindset and feel centered throughout the, throughout the process. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing resource and something I know a lot of listeners would find really, really helpful. Uh, where can we learn more from you? Your website, obviously, which we'll link to in the show notes. You're also on social media? Yes, on social media, Heidi Brockmeyer. Yep. Perfect. Well, we'll have links to those in the show notes. So last question that I ask all of my interviewees is, what are your closing pieces of advice or pearls of wisdom that you'd like listeners to take away from this interview? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I think the last takeaway, I would just really like to emphasize the point of um, what, whatever you're doing for your fertility. Yeah. Okay. This is what this is. It, it can really be a drag. I understand. Even if you're doing holistic things, you can start to just be like, I'm like, I don't want to eat healthy food. I don't want to do that. You know, all of the things that you're doing to support your health and your fertility can um, you can feel maybe resentful of them and then be on a roller coaster of like, oh, I got my period or, you know, something didn't work out, failed fertility treatment. I'm just going to, you know, go back to drinking a bottle of wine or whatever it may be. Um, and so I like to encourage women to see the ongoing uh, fertility journey and the ways that you're supporting your health and your fertility as a practice of self-love. Rather, rather than a means to an end. And if that, that end is not here yet, then it's just, you know, it's just like becomes kind of bitter resentment towards it. But I think it helps to reframe it a bit so that you're able to be compassionate with yourself throughout the journey. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. I encourage women to say, don't try to be perfect for like 80%, you know? And, um, but yeah, that, that to, to keep in mind that it's a practice of self-love. 
That is so important. And I think something that a lot of people struggle with because it does feel like you're just a principle. And if it doesn't seem like it's working out, then it's very easy to get discouraged. So viewing it as that, like taking care of yourself and kind of, you know, mothering yourself and preparing your body in the best way that you can does kind of uh, make it a little bit more positive, feel a little bit more positive. Yeah. Well, thank you, Heidi, so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciated you sharing your experience and expertise with the podcast audience. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I enjoyed the conversation as well.